Thank you all so much. We, uh, we sung that song, It Is Well, uh, at the 9 o'clock service, and my, my first thought was, man, I cannot wait to sing that song at the 1045. So uh, it's really fun to sing alongside of you all. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. My name is West. Um, we are going to be in Joshua 4 today, as you can probably tell. Um, I, little quick disclaimer, I had LASIK surgery on Friday. Uh, things are going great, but I can't see any of you. So uh, uh, hopefully I can see my page okay. We're, we're going to make the best of it. Let me pray. Um, yeah, we, we need prayer always, but today for sure. Uh, Lord, thank you for the immensity of your grace. Thanks, God, for your providence. I pray that we would understand what providence means. Father, I pray that it would yield dependence. Each and every one of us would live our lives in dependence on you, who is a providential and good God. Please, by your Spirit's conviction, Lord, by, by the authority of your word in Joshua 4, I, I pray that you would do great things, that you would change our hardened hearts, that you would make them soft to your purposes, and that we would look more like your son Jesus as a result of this time studying your word. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Every time my dad comes over to our house these days, he, he kind of wears my daughter Annie Kate out. Uh, she's 18 years old, and, and our, our house is configured where basically the main guest bathroom is her bathroom, and, and she's, she's not as tidy. I was about to say she's a slob. That would be unkind, so I'm not going to say that. She's not as tidy as one day she will be, and, and my dad's always kind of wearing her out about that. You know, I see that you haven't picked up your clothes as he goes into the bathroom and, by the way, leaves the toilet seat up. Um, anyway, <laughs> it, you know, she, she's just always like, man, he's always on me on that. And, and, and he's not wrong, okay? He's sitting here in the third row. He, he's not wrong. She, she does need to clean up a little bit better. That's not my point today. My, my point today is that you, you might think, well, that's just what he does because, you know, he's an octogenarian. It's not true. He's been doing it for at least 55 years. Like, th this is not his grandparenting strategy. This is his parenting strategy. He's been unbelievably consistent. Like, like he's a human metronome. He just, he brings the same things up over and over again. And it's just like, he wears you down. There was a time when I was younger and a little less mature that, that it, would, it would really bug me. Honestly, if I'm you know, being very truthful, it, it would really bug me. I, I felt like it, his parenting strategy was akin to Chinese water torture. It, like, it just it was a, like a constant drip. And then I started asking the question. I think it's an important question. I think it really helped me appreciate my dad as a father. Instead of just going, why does he always do this? I, I started asking the question, why does my dad think some things are so important that he's willing to, to repeat them over and over and over and over and over and over again. You see what I'm saying? Like, instead of just going, ah, why does my dad think some things are so important that it's worth repeating himself? Turn with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's long. I'm, you know, I apologize for that. I think it's important to get the, the full context. So hang with me. When all, the nations, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan River, 
The Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan River, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So, so God has parted the Jordan River so that Israel could go through. And, and while it's parted and, and while the riverbed is dry, he said, I want you to take 12 stones and I want you to place them where you're going to lodge tonight, picking it up in verse 4. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder. So this is not like a pebble or a rock. It's something you got to carry up here. So it's, it's a little bit heavier according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and they laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan. So this is another memorial. In the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of Israel, of all of Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in, the awe, in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests, bearing the ark of the testimony, to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests, bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned in their place and overflowed its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took up out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. 
so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. I know that was long. And you're probably thinking, especially if you were here last week, that this is a little bit of a retread over chapter 3, right? Because last week in chapter 3, you you saw the passing of Israel over the Jordan River, and this is actually basically the second and third iteration of the passing. I mean, if if you were careful, it it talks about it two more times in chapter 4. And so now we've had the articulation of this story where Israel passes through the Jordan, which God has parted, three times. Three times. And you got to ask yourself, why is it that important that, that God would dedicate an additional chapter of the Bible to a second and then a third iteration of this same story? Well, look, within chapter 4, within this second and third iteration, there is one theme that was slightly referenced in chapter 3, but it is very much expounded upon in chapter 4. And and that's really what we're going to focus on today, because I think that is the reason God reiterates the same story. The thing that is highlighted in chapter 4 is the building of these memorials. It's it's not just a memorial at Gilgal, it's it's another memorial right in the middle of the Jordan River, one one that Joshua himself puts up. Verses 2 and 3, there's one memorial built when Israel, where Israel is supposed to sleep that night. That's at Gilgal. It's just east of Jericho, and it's just west of the Jordan River. Verse 9 talks about an additional memorial that Joshua sets up in the middle of a dry riverbed before the waters collapse back in. Why would the author take such pains to talk about these memorials? The answer is really found in verse 6. If you look at verse 6, and we'll read verse 6 and 7, he says, Do these things that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in times to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So the stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So, the memorials are a sign. You might be asking yourself, what is a sign? A sign's probably exactly what you think of it. Like when when you drive west on I-10, you're going to see signs for Bucky's. It's, It's something that signals something. It's a marker. It says, you know, pay attention. This This is here. Like it's, it's trying to communicate something so that you wouldn't overlook it or forget it. That, that's what a sign is. Now, the question, next question is, it's a sign, marker, an indicator, a signal. For whom? For, for who, who is this for? Right? For whom? Verses 6 and 7 have already told us that. When your children ask in times to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them the waters of the Jordan were cut off and and Israel came through. So ultimately, it's for fathers. Verse 21 reiterates, fathers are supposed to tell their their kids. So it's for fathers and ultimately 
so that fathers can tell their kids, here's what God did. So it's a memorial, it's a sign so that dads can teach their kids. Whose job is it to instruct children about the character and faithfulness of God? It's not the church's primary job. We certainly want to supplement that endeavor. But, But ultimately, you don't drop your kids off in Sunday school so we can give them the fullness of their Christian education. That, that I promise, is going to be a formula for disaster. It's also, it's a little bit controversial here, it's not primarily the mom's job. How about that? Like most people in America think dad goes off and makes money and, and mom is, is with the kids, mom is nurturing, mom is giving them instruction on the ways of the Lord. Look, I'm not saying moms don't do that. I'm just saying the principal responsibility, that is for the dads. That, that is dad's job. Dads are the spiritual leaders of the household. That does not mean that we always get what we want. That does not mean we are abusive. That, like, there's so much talk about like toxic masculinity. How about biblical masculinity where men get up and lead? And, and ladies, that doesn't mean your role is any less important. It's absolutely critical. I, like, I, women are, I mean, moms, I mean, all of that. Like, I'm, I'm not throwing shade on anything. I'm just saying, if you want, I don't, I don't know a woman here who's married who would, who would say, I want my husband to be more spiritually passive. Like, I, I've never heard that. I've been doing pastoral counseling for 30 years Nobody's ever come in and said, you know, my, my husband's just too into God and too into instructing my kids. Never happens, okay? Dads normally come in kind of slacker-like, okay? They're not taking initiative. And this text says, dads, it's your job. It's absolutely your job. You got to step up. You got to own your faith. You got to remember before your family God's historic faithfulness and his faithfulness to your family. Maybe it's time, dads, who are pursuing Jesus, when God shows up and provides for your family, maybe it's time to make a marker for your family, to, to do something to say, kids, I want to create this so that we would never forget that God helped us in this time. Maybe we should do more of that. Dads, we need to do more of that. Don't fall into some sort of egalitarian trap of thinking that God meant parents when he said fathers here. It's not what it says. He's talking about fathers. Step up. Again, moms are critically important. I'm no shade there. Just men, own your responsibility. Now look, who's it for? It's it's for fathers so that they can invest in their, their children. There's more to it, though. It's hard to imagine that this isn't an important sign for Israel, especially as they go to take the land that God has promised. One of the memorials is set up in Gilgal. That is where Israel is going to camp before they attack Jericho. Okay, So like they're about to go and start fighting people who terrify them. Okay, 40 years prior, 12 spies went into the promised land and they looked at all the ites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites. I mean, there's all sorts of ites. And, and when 10 of those guys came back, they said, 
these people are giant. The land is going to devour us. We feel like grasshoppers. Okay, like that, that means we feel small. Okay, these guys are bigger than the Israelites. And they're scared to death. And so I think God sets up this memorial in Gilgal where they're going to sleep the night before they go and lay siege on Jericho. I think it's for Israel. And specifically it is for Israel that they would understand the providence of God. That God is a God who provides. He has provided for them when they were enslaved in Egypt and they cried out to God. God raised up Moses who said, let my people go. Pharaoh balked. There were plagues. He let my people go. He changes his mind. He chases them to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. Israel goes through, collapses on Pharaoh's army. And then they're sinful and they wander in a wilderness for 40 years. And even in their rebellion, God provides manna from heaven and quail. And and it's an amazing testament to the providence and the grace of God, even as Israel has rebelled against God. And now they get to the edges of the Jordan River, which is at flood stage, chapter 3, verse 15. Flood stage, it's a mile wide, it's running through brush. This is not an easy ferry. And God parts the water and he makes it dry land so that they can go by. And he says, as you go out to fight the ites, and I know you're scared of the ites, I want you to remember that I have provided at every turn historically. And the same God who has been historically providential is the same God who will provide for you as you go in faithfulness. It is so easy to see giants instead of a giant conquering Lord, who goes before us. I think it's for Israel. That's a sign for fathers, for children, and for those who are fighting battles for the Lord. It's a sign of what? It's a sign of God's providence. It's a sign of God's providence. It's a sign for what? For what purpose is God giving this sign, this sign of his amazing providence, something that will remind Israel never to forget the providence of God. Why does he want Israel never to forget the providence of God? There's really three answers that I can glean from this text. I'm going to start with the last one, verses 23 and 24. Now, verses 21 through 24 are basically the summary of all of chapter 4, and so you're getting a lot here of explanation, but let's look at verses 23 and 24. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over Here's the why. So that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. For what purpose did God give this sign that Israel would never forget? For what purpose? For the purpose of the nations. All the earth might know that the Lord your God is mighty. It's ultimately for the nations. The the world will know 
that God is providential for his people. We've seen it already in Rahab. Rahab welcomes new spies into the promised land. She is not from Israel. She is not a woman of faith or even of good morality. But she recognizes that God has parted the Red Sea for Israel. She's already heard that. She's like, I like their God better than our gods. And she's like, I'm with you. And God saves her. And ultimately, Jesus comes from her lineage. The Canaanites knew of the power of God. Now, some Canaanites knew and fought against it to their peril. So God's enemies will know that God is a providential God for Israel, and some of those enemies will come become God's friends. But it is so that the nations might know. But I don't just think it's for the people out there. I think it's for the people in here. Look, the reality is there's going to be a next time that you encounter a river at flood stage. You're going to get to something in life, and I don't know what it is. I wish I did. I'd be like a prophet, and that'd be super cool. It's just not who I am, okay? But you're going to get to something that, that is, is bigger than you. Like, it's, it's a mile wide, and it's rushing, and it's a flooded river, and, and you're not a swimmer, and you got to get across it. And you're going to have two options, okay? When, when you get to the flooded river, whatever the flooded river is, you're going to have two options. You're going to, metaphorically speaking here, have to say, I got a pretty good breaststroke. I can swim across a flooded river that's a mile wide through brush. I think I'll be fine. You'd be a fool, but that's your option, okay? That's your first option. The other option is in humility, you can cultivate dependence on God and say, Lord, I've reached the end of myself. I am in desperate need of your providential care. So look, Ultimately, we're not just trying to get to God's providence. We're trying to get to God's providence because ultimately from an awareness of God's providence, we learn dependence. Otherwise, we think we're world-class swimmers and we'll never get across the river. Like God will take us to a point where we have to depend on him. And those are your two options. And one is a terrible option. You will either lean on God or you will lean on the breaststroke. And the breaststroke is not going to get you across the river. The last purpose for God's providence, for this sign marking God's providence, I'm going to show it to you based on a look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, as you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want you to know I could have made the same point from Deuteronomy chapter 4 or Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm I'm picking Deuteronomy chapter 6 because it starts with the Shema. Verse 4, chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. And then it goes on from verse 6 through verse 8 to say, Teach your kids these truths, which we've already heard. Fathers are supposed to teach their kids. God has given a sign so that the kids and the fathers would never forget these things, that we would pass it from one generation to the next. Same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 6. But that gets us 
to verses 10 through 13. After he has said, teach it to your kids every possible way you can. Verse 10, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Why does God give us signs? Why does God give us these memorials lest we ever forget his providence? Memorials, according to Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 13, are a hedge. They're a hedge against the arrogance and the independence produced by prosperity. That's what the text said. That's exactly what the text said. When you get to the land, and Joshua chapter 4 is about getting to the land, he says, there's going to be a trap set for you. You're going to inherit a land you did not earn. I gave it to you. You're going to gain cities you did not build. I got the pagans to build them. You're going to get homes you didn't build. I got the pagans to build them too. Cisterns, orchards, I'm giving it all to you, but you're going to receive these things. You're going to get fat and happy, and then you're going to start thinking, we did all this. That's exactly what it said. That's a hundred percent what God warns Israel about in chapter four of Deuteronomy, in chapter six of Deuteronomy, and in chapter eight of Deuteronomy. For the sake of time and because we have communion, I'm only giving you chapter six. But it's the constant message. As soon as you gain prosperity, you're going to start thinking, I did this. You're going to think I was born on third base. And you're going to think, I made a triple. And you didn't. God was just incredibly gracious. He gave you all of these things out of his kindness. And so the question then that I have for you, a prosperous people, is how are you doing giving God all the credit for everything that you have? You say to yourself, I've got a great job. I worked hard. Sure you worked hard. God gave you the ability to work hard. God gave you the ability to do whatever it was that got you promoted. God gave you the ability by his grace to go to college or to go to high school or to go to whatever it was that made you okay. You say, well, I've made moral choices. Great. I'm so glad you've made moral choices. Apart from God's grace, I promise you don't make moral choices. It is by God's grace that you have any sort of morality. Don't place your hopes in your own morality. Place your hopes in the grace of God that enables you to live unto his glory. What credit are you taking? Robbing God of the glory that he deserves for the good things in your life. What, what is it? That is happening. I, I promise that is a huge danger. 
God says it over and over again. When you get to the land, this is going to be the problem. And guess what? Look at the book of Judges. It's exactly the problem. God calls it, and Israel still falls into it. God warns them repeatedly, and they still forget God. And you know what happens when you forget God? If you read on from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, you go on to worship other gods, the gods of the pagans that you vanquished. It's the dumbest thing in the world. It's the stupidest thing in the world. That is the greatest danger that we all face. We take credit for things that God has clearly done. About two months ago, my mom passed away, and there's a bunch of people who came to a memorial service, and a bunch of their friends, and my mom was really, really concerned that they would hear the gospel, and so we, we tried to preach the gospel, and, and they were really sweet people. I mean, they were so kind, but a lot of them came up afterwards and were like, oh, this is you know, so beautiful. Like You've got to be so proud of everything that you've done, and I was like, I don't think you get it. I didn't say any of this because it's you know, the reception of the memorial service, but I'm like, I haven't done anything. I like. I haven't done anything. Daniel hadn't done anything. Kristen hadn't done anything. You know, Travis or Wes or you know, any of our other pastoral staff people, like none of us, our, our elders haven't done anything. God has overcome us to accomplish wonderful, beautiful things, but, but anything that is good is, that has happened, it has become because of the Holy Spirit enabling people to overcome themselves, really, so that he might do something beautiful. But how how can we take credit for anything? That's why God gives us a memorial. That's why God gives us a sign so that that we, the people of God, wouldn't forget, so we, the people of God, wouldn't gravitate into self-righteousness, self-satisfaction, independence, rather than dependence on the providence of God. Guess what? That's exactly why God gives us communion. Did you know that? Like God says, hey, you're going to have bread and you're going to break it with friends and you're going to drink some wine with friends. Whenever you do it, I want you to remember me, my, my body broken for you, my blood shed for you every time because at some point you're going to get self-satisfied and you're going to start thinking, gosh, I'm really quite spiritual in and of myself. Gosh, my religiosity is second to none. I am so godly. He's going to be lucky to have me in heaven one day. And so God hedges against that autonomy, that independence from him, and he says, whenever you take the bread or drink from the cup, I want you to remember that it's holy about Jesus and his death on the cross of Calvary where his body was broken and his blood was shed that we might be forgiven and empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit made new creations in Christ set apart for his work. So we're going to take some time now and we're going to spend time contemplating our dependence on God who is providential to the ultimate degree in the cross of Calvary, providing all that was needed for forgiveness and unconditional love through the blood of Christ, through the broken body of Christ. If you need to repent of sin before coming and celebrating the elements, I implore that you do so.
Don't take the cup or the bread in an unworthy manner. But when you come, come knowing that this is the ultimate memorial so that we might not forget his goodness to us so that we might live in utter and joy-filled dependence. Pray now.